I'm Richard Dodd, and you're listening to the Ecology Academy podcast. This is a show where we get to talk and learn about all things ecological, including interviews with top ecologists, both employers and employees, those working with ecologists, and also aspiring and inspiring career-seeking individuals setting out to make a difference. The show aims to provide you with insights, advice, and inspiration to help you succeed and excel as an effective ecologist and to make a real difference to our natural environment. Today I'm speaking with Julia Baker, who is a biodiversity technical specialist at Balfour Beatty, one of the major infrastructure contractors in the UK. Julia designed and delivered biodiversity net gain for a variety of projects, including large and small scale rural and urban projects. Julia is the leading author of the UK's Good Practice Principles of Biodiversity Net Gain and runs professional training on biodiversity metrics. She's also a visiting researcher at the University of Oxford. So Julia, welcome to the Ecology Academy podcast. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm, I'm super excited. Yeah, I know. I, I'm really excited about this. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, I mean, we've been setting up for a few weeks now. And um, yeah, I, I'm, I've got a couple of questions I'm, I'm really dying to ask you. Yeah, but um, before we do that, um, I just want to explore some insights into you and, and your work. So I'm going to start off with a couple of seemingly innocent questions, a quick fire question to see what sort of person you really are. Uh, some deep and, yeah, deep and meaningful questions that I think Myers-Briggs will be jealous of. <laughs> only joking, <laughs> only joking. It's just a bit of fun. But um, you ready? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. Excellent. Okay. So first of all, first question. Habitats or species? Oh, habitats, definitely. Build it and they will come. You've you got to start with habitats. Excellent. Do you know, I, I thought you'd say that. No, I thought you'd say that. <laughs> so, so if habitats then, okay. Terrestrial, freshwater or marine? Oh, gosh. Um terrestrial terrestrial yeah 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 great okay then um now i may know the answer to this one but with books or films oh gosh that's tricky um i oh well given it's been locked down and i've just loved um re- time for reading books I'll, I'll go with books but really really looking forward to getting back into the cinema the cinema, cinema yeah yeah so i mean they've opened now haven't they so um a, a few a few cinemas have opened yeah i believe yeah. ecological consultant or ecological contractor oh contractor all the way <laughs> yeah oh my gosh honestly yeah contractor great and final question is uh who's going to win eurovision this year and why uh, uh, I'm going to have to go with, with obviously the, the, the UK entry, of course, come on, can't quite remember his name, but I'm sure, I'm sure he'll smash it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think it's going to be Italy, myself. Yeah. I, I mean, they, they're, is, that, they, is that the rock band? That's, oh yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. They were also sent about the... France as well, but France's entries, apologies to anyone who's listening in France, but yeah, um, not as good as the UK. Well, we'll see. We'll see then tonight. We'll, we'll see. Tonight. Tonight. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, thank you for that. I shall post the results back to you um, later on about uh, <laughs> the insights there. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So um, l- l- uh, my first question to you, Julia, is uh, sort of outline for me sort of the, and the audience um, where your journey. So where you came from, uh, how you found a career in ecology and perhaps what you did as a career even before ecology and, and defining moments along the way before starting work with Balfour Beatty. Yeah, I guess. So I my kind of first professional start in life, if you like, was actually in research. Um, and um, I was really lucky to join a, a research group. It's here actually at the University of Kent, and it was about nature conservation. And the the thing that I've realised now, but you know, you, you don't at the time. You're just kind of you know get, getting in there and and doing the thing. Was the research? So my 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 training in research was the the pursuit of knowledge. You know that continual, mm. what are we learning? How can we get better? And and it never stops in in a really really wonderful way. You know, being on the journey is in a way exactly you want to be. You know, you're you'll reach a certain point, but then you get back on the journey and you're constantly learning. You're constantly think, thinking, how can we improve this? How can we get better? Um, but it's also what's really interesting about research is you've got to find what the right questions are to ask, right, yeah. you know, and, and that is in a way constantly adapting to the information that you're getting in. And I was just so lucky to be a part of a research group and it was all about nature conservation, 
but also all about really, really open, really collaborative. So we were, there was always constantly, um, you know, someone talking about their research, be it at a, a lunchtime session or an afternoon session or an evening session, you know, everyone was always talking and sharing. And so that was kind of the norm, you know, for me in, in when I started off with the research group is that you'd always do something and then you'd share ideas and you'd get some feedback and someone else would be talking about your research. So I learned quite early on in terms of having the, the, the value of a um, conversation, you know, the value of bouncing ideas around, the value of really change and what does change look like it involves working together bringing people along sharing and mm. and you know just trying to connect on on that level but also talking about your work in a way that hopefully resonates with other people so that they can contribute to it and they can help you um, and my research what I focused on it wasn't anything to do with uh, kind of UK and cons um, conservation it was more kind of internationally based but it was about that difficulty at the international level where you want to lock away really incredible areas for conservation you know like national parks and things like that but you do so at the expense of local people um and there's this huge dilemma between the the, the right the good for conservation versus the right the good for people so there was this concept that i was interested in which is called integrated conservation development mm. which is not conservation versus people it's well how can the two work together how do we get that and and that's what i really explored in my research gosh and so where and um, what time frame when when was this what year what years oh gosh it was kind of late 90s early 2000s um um yeah when i was when i really started off i'd done various uh, kind of a undergraduate degree did a lot of traveling and working abroad and then i came back and i just thought um, and I was really passionate about nature conservation and I just, that kind of research bug just really, really took hold. Um, and it, it took me a good year of just part-time jobs and just trying to get the money for, for uh, my PhD, um, which, which then really meant something actually, you know, because when you, you work hard and you graft hard and, yeah. and you, you know, you, you do all those kind of jobs, then, you know, you really own your PhD and, and it's really yours to, to, to work through. But, but, looking at that basis on you know when you're in that kind of research world which is really incredible and exciting and you know i have such a great research group working with that um it is about um research that's you know going to lead to some kind of change research that's you know it's not pursuit of knowledge just for knowledge mm. um it's research to have that action and you can only have that action when you change things okay. so it's it's that kind of desire that really i really started in but also i was trained in quite early on so where does it come from where, where does that passion for learning that you know lust for learning come from then is it, is it was it something that you've you've always had or is it something that was developed whilst you were doing your undergraduate and then your phd well actually at um at university i i was uh, i joined a couple well, oh, that's quite a bit, bit, bit of an activist, really. Yeah. I was just, I joined a couple of um, campaign groups. There's one called Earth First, you know, to really try and bring the the, the, the importance of conserving the planet outright. Um, and I did a lot of that. And there's certainly value and it's so important, the protester movement. But I, I reached a stage when we were acting, you know, we'd, we'd run a protest on information that we were given on a research project or something like that. Yeah. And I reached a stage when I was like, I'm completely trusting this information and then going out there and, you know, like waving a banner or doing a march, whatever that might be. Can I ask about that information? You know, can I can I just go back and, and talk to the research? And obviously then it wasn't possible. And then I was just like, well, actually, I want to be the one finding that information. I want to be the one pursuing that knowledge. I want to be the one, is that the right question? Are they really hitting the key issues? So that that really led me quite strongly to the research path when, when, when you know, I started on that. Gosh, yeah, right here. Yeah, and in terms of, um, I mean, have you done any international work yourself then as part of, um, you know, just shortly after your PhD or as part of your PhD at all? So my PhD was based in Uganda, yeah, right, which okay. is the mm. most beautiful country ever. Mm. Yeah, I had a couple of years out there. Um, you know, it's just an extraordinary place to go. And um, they really have that sense of, you know, living amongst beautiful places in the world you know really critical areas to conserve under national parks but in areas of of extreme poverty so that kind of conservation people interface is so raw and so prevalent 
Um, and that's really when it comes into the fact that we, we can no longer do this. We cannot put conservation in a box over here and people and development over here. We've got to find a way. And what is that way when it is this integrated approach? It's development and conservation. Right. And when, when you completed your PhD, um, did you, was it, uh, what was your first role, yeah, first, first, first company you worked for after that? Well, I, um, so yeah, I, I, I had this, I, when I came back and I was writing on my PhD, I was, um, found it really, really tough, actually, having loved field work and, you know, been out there living somewhere like Uganda, and then you're just literally in this, this little office. Um, and I really miss just going out there. So I tried to find something that would help, you know, get like a wildlife fix. And um, I can't remember how I found it, actually, but I, I kind of found a Ken Back Group as a you know uh, on and I could join as a volunteer and it was just brilliant because bats come out at night so I could you know work do, do my research do the writing up um, during the day and then you know go out in the evenings with people who were just so patient and gave so much of their time you know just like talking about bats and I would, there was always a survey going on that I could just jump on board with borrow someone's detector and just just really get into that and through that, as I was coming out of my PhD, one of the guys on Kent Back Group had his own consultancy and his work was, you know, just exploding and he really needed some kind of field surveyors. And um, he, so he offered me um, a part-time job. And that was at the time when I was trying to get a bit of teaching at the university and, and there was not much going and coming out of debt in the PhD. Yeah. And he was literally offering me a job for something that I just loved. You know, I was just loving all the bat surveys and everything. So I was like, yeah, thank you very much. And I get paid for this. Are you kidding me? Um, and that, then that quickly became a full-time job. Yeah. Um, so it kind of went from there. So I kind of fell into um, what I didn't realise at the time would then start my career here in the UK. I think that's it. I think, um, you know, a lot of people, um, uh, well, uh, you know, decide that, um, you know, they may not have a complete career path at, at a, a one point or more in their lives. And then I think they not stumble across, you know, people say, oh, it's, oh, it's lucky, you know, it's lucky that you were in that position. But I think a lot of people sort of make their own luck, you know, in terms of, um, you know, you're in the right place at the right time because you've got that passion, that drive to actually exceed or, 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 or you know, uh, you know, run with something um in terms of you know you, you, what your passion is about um and i, I think that, you know those sort of people make the make make, oh, maybe sort of stereotyping here but certainly make the better at ecologists or people because they have a passion first yeah i mean i, I think i always find career a bit a bit of a funny word because i've never mm. really thought about mm. um you know when you do something like you love you know as a real like career move if you like you know you're just literally following um what you love and you feel strongly about for you know for whatever reason um and i've definitely you know had those opportunities i think luck is is that combination of definitely being lucky to have that right moment that right conversation but also then kind of just saying yes or you know just kind of going for it yeah. um the, the difficulty for me at the time was um I didn't, as much as I loved, and it was great, you know, doing the bat surveys, and I really enjoyed understanding that and learning about that. But I was a researcher, mm. you know, at at the university and wanted to continue that and thinking about postdocs and everything and just really struggling to get anywhere or get anything off. So I actually had this dilemma of, okay, job, stable, bit of income versus trying to do something but the more that you work the less time that you have to do to to really work for um, a postdoc so it was this moment of real uncertainty and like you know the, the kind of the, the the two paths down the road really in terms of okay left that's the UK and that's bats and I do love it but hang on a sec I've just done this piece of research and um, I think there's more to do there I think there's more learning there but I just couldn't get anything off the ground so I I um I, I still continued, you know, with 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 this company. It was a, just a local company here in Kent. Um, you know, they gave me because it's such a small company. It's one of those things where you just suddenly do everything. Yeah. You know, th there's only a, a small number of you, so you are literally doing every single thing. So I, it was such valuable experience because you really learned everything about consultancy. Um, but in the back of my mind, thinking, hang on, I, 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 I 
you know, have I made the right decision? And that was difficult. You know, there, there's no magic sign that pops up saying, yes, this is the right path, you know, and, and it is really hard in those moments. Um, but I never forgot that research element. And I thought, okay, well, look, this is here and now. You've got to go with it. But, but at some point, you will get back to research in whatever form that will be. So I kind of made a deal with myself to think, okay, here and now, let's learn about this. It's something that, um, you know, there's an opportunity here and at some point get back to 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 that aspect as well okay so you are coming to that juncture in you in your in your life um, in terms of um, you know moving on from this consultancy then so what was your next step then so did you go into research or what, what you know what was your next step I spent a really um, good couple of years here with this very small consultancy and just learning absolutely everything. It, you know, it's the most valuable time it really was. Um, and, you know, just working with experts, like true experts who, um, you know, showed and, and gave me such a good understanding of a UK legislation and the policy um, mm. that was quite new at the time, you know, but also the protection for bats and how that works and bat mitigation, all those kind of things. Um, and then, yeah, you, with a very, very small company, you reach a stage when you just can't go up anymore. You know, that that's it kind of. So I started looking around for other jobs. Um, and I uh, I remember actually, I, I had a few interviews just to kind of a practice run, you know, never really done an interview in my life. So I just thought I better, better have a practice run. Um, and then there was this one job or two jobs came up. And the first one, I thought, I'm just not interested in that at all. But it was like a week before a job that I really, really wanted. So I was like, yes, okay, I'll do the first one. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, it might be of interest, but and looking back now, I think, God, it's quite awful. But I was literally doing the first one, just to have a practice, another practice run for an interview. And then really, really wanting the second, the second job. So I went along to the practice run, um, you know, not bothered about getting the job at all. And it was great. We had a really nice chat. And it was this kind of road um, contract, you know, a maintenance contract, this joint venture between Balfour Beatty and Mark McDonald, never heard of them, yeah. big companies, thought, yeah. no, 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 that, that's not me. But it was really nice. And, you know, it was like really testing the water with different interview techniques and questions. Went to the second one, really building my hopes up. It was really interesting consultancy. Um, incredibly nervous and absolutely froze on the day I just absolutely bombed it I came out and I was like I don't know you know you kind of still have that hope that maybe they saw something even though I just yeah. absolutely bombed every single question um so unsurprisingly the second company sent me a polite email saying no thanks um and the first company said we'd really like you to come back for a second interview great and I was like oh, gosh um that didn't quite work out the way that I was expecting. Um, and again, thinking, well, you know, what do I do? And and I don't know why. I just I just thought, well, maybe let's give let's give them another chance. <laughs> I mean, I just I couldn't believe I was thinking this um, because you know it was like a job in these massive companies. And I did a bit of googling about Balfour's and bots, and and still not very impressed to be honest. Um, but there was just something when I went back. Um, there was just something about that team and there was just something about they wanted to go in a new direction. Mm. You know, it wasn't just the traditional ecology mitigation. I think they just started another of, of the maintenance contracts with um, who I then knew was, um, it was then Highways Agency and then, then they become Highways England. Again, didn't know much about that at all. And I just thought, okay, you know, I, I think I don't know much about, well, I didn't know anything about roads, but there was just something about the conversation and they wanted a, a slightly different take from just the traditional ecology mitigation. Um, so I went for it and that was a joint venture. It was Balfour Beatty McDonald and Area 4, which is um, one of the um, Highways England road networks down here in Kent. Yeah. Um, and that was my first experience of like massive company, massive um, you know, Area 4 was a big road network and just how a huge organisation works and really engineering, you know, working for a designer and a contractor, working for a joint venture. Um, and I remember my first day being absolutely, what have I just said <laughs> yes to? And just thinking, oh, my God. And so I went really, really quiet for about six months um, and just crept in every day and tried to learn things and um yeah, sounds as though I knew I was talking about bats. Um, 
but then it kind of went from there, really. So, so what was that first six months like then? So in terms of you said you kept your head down or, or you know, or trying to learn, learn about the company, learn about your role. So, yeah, how, how, did, how, did, how did those six months go in terms of, um, obviously, obviously it went well because yeah, you're still there. But uh, Well, yeah, well, um, I, th- I, I think it was kind of a, a varying degrees of fear just because I literally just, you know, it was so huge, you know, from, from a literally a, a, a five person company going to that massive organization mm-hmm. and engineers and safety audits and PPE and all that kind of stuff um, to a very, very structured approach, you know, in terms of uh, the, the roads and manual bridges and how this works and everything. Um, but also knowing that there was such a great team there and incredibly supportive. And it was the people really yeah. who were just, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, kind of took me on to have to, to yes deliver what the company de- delivered but they were looking for this new direction um, and we quite weren't sure what that was and so I just thought okay time on the street I've got to learn this I'm, I'm really not sure what this direction is until I learn this you know the, the, this game until I learn the rules until I learn the people um, so I spent a lot of time on, on, on that kind of first six months just okay let's just bypass the, the whole new idea thing and I've just got to learn how this thing works and and then really understanding we're still in this mindset development versus nature it's mm-hmm. still deeply rooted yeah. and that at the end of the six months that's when I thought right actually I think what I've learned in my research is actually going to be quite relevant here right and it's um, and and what what sort of things were you getting involved with in those those um in those early years then with Valpabiti then so what sort of you know what sort of, what was your remit what you know what were you employed for? So I was part of the environment team and one of the ecologists there um, and, and brought in you know had all this um, kind of experience with with bats and things so initially on that but wanting they were wanting more of a strategic direction yeah. about the way that the environment and sustainability played within the company and within that particular contract. And so what we started to look at was a much more um, uh, integrated approach. You know, and, I, and I kind of used that word integration and framed it in that way in terms of, well, how can we build a road and, and how can we run a road network that creates fantastic places for wildlife to live? You know, where, where are those solutions? What does that look like? And given the amount of land that we had, you know, the Area 4 network is massive. Road mm. verges, you know, go back 10 metres at some direction. You don't need all of that for the road. Can I have some of that? So we just started to open up those conversations. And um, there was, um, a, I can't remember the name of the funding pot at the time, but there were various funding grants that you could apply for within, um, it was then Highways Agency, to um, uh, to really look at various ways to test these things out so uh, we started a couple of projects on that and it was all related to okay yep the road has to function the road has to to run in that respect but can we do so in a way that really benefits nature and can we do so in a way that contributes towards what the ambitions for nature in Kent so it had those kind of two strands really okay and and yeah I had no idea when I started what what that would be but we got funding and then we kind of went for it yeah and, and was this a sort of um, a, a sort of testing ground for later on for what's now now we know now as a biodiversity net gain? Is it is it something that led into that then quite naturally? I I think so. Yes. I mean, at the time it was it was kind of formulating that, trying to articulate that integrated approach, um, working with you know very heavily engineering culture working with it's always been okay we're building a road just can the ecologists come in and, and do what they do and move the stuff out of the way because then we're going to get on with that road building mm. so it's really understanding that mentality um it was understanding the way that the legislation worked against nature you know just that whole consent thing was we are stacked up against it we really are you know i just remember or to or to um you know pretty early on having like what you're giving consent for a project with biodiversity loss what, what do you mean you know in, in those kind of conversations like no 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 we we've that's 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 just not going to work and being very very lucky to have a company who were willing and open to have those conversations but also um there were particularly environmental advisors within um you know house agency at the time who were just really visionary and ambitious and allowed those ideas when we really hadn't formulated those to say okay there's something here there's an idea here let's bring this out so again that kind of coming together of the right people at the right time um it wasn't really 
yeah, I mean, there were no metrics at that time at all. It was, I, th I think the emphasis for me was, it doesn't have to be development versus nature. I think there's a solution here. Yeah. Um, and having people really, really work on that basis. But also they're making it very, very local to Kent. What's the contribution going to be? How, you know, how can we help support Kent's ambitions for nature? Okay, so in terms of um, you getting that message across, then, so you, you mentioned about you know, obviously had a good team uh, there. So, you know, is it down to having that good team in place in terms of people who can listen, understand, and then also, I suppose, give the green light to, to go ahead and start either implementing what you're researching um, or, or or actually taking it forward? So, you know, where did it was it actually a pot of money from the government, or was it actually something deep rooted within Balfour Beatty? Always people. Yeah. It is always, always people. If you want to change anything, if you, and I've, I've really valued this. And I think um, I really learned this from my research group when I was, um, you know, that, that early research training. You know, you can do the best research ever, but if you don't communicate it in a way that doesn't resonate or you, you're not talking to the people who are, is going to land well, it's not going to do a thing. And th throughout, actually, throughout my work um, and just you know, throughout the net game piece and everything, it's always been a conversation with a particular person or, a, you know, a, a group of people that has had that spark. And even actually, it's funny, and even if you think a conversation just hasn't gone anywhere, I've had people for six months down the line, then they're doing something that's really interesting. And, you know, you relate it back to, okay, hang on, that's great. Where did you go from when we last met you and everything like that? The the other stuff is, is yes, it needs to come into place. Absolutely, of course, you know, we're in a commercial world that you always need funding. Yeah. And of course, there's policy and legislation to some have a great influence. But I think um, grassroots, if you can really work grassroots and if you can really find the people who are on your same page and who are, you know, who really share your vision and want to bring it forward, then that's everything. Great. Okay. And and, and um, now, if, if you don't mind, so this is this is the start of um, you know I suppose uh, quite a few years worth of work now in terms of developing I suppose the you know the UK's good practice principles of biodiversity net gain. So, um, can, could you run through when that started? I mean, I imagine it's not a sort of um, it's not a six month project. <laughs> <laughs> to write, no, write no, I, yeah. So I mean, this this whole of this project, you know, really got to a stage when I just thought, um, to to really move this forward, this is actually a fundamentally different conversation, um, and I need to the the ecology mitigation, the ecology legislation. It was so risk adverse, and it was you know those words that we use such as constraints mm -hmm. and yeah. things like that. I thought this is you know I I really get where that started from. To, to get a foothold in the door as ecologist movement, we had to talk the language of what was a very risk adverse industry. So that language served a very short purpose and a very helpful purpose. But I, for me then, I found it um, a, a bit of a barrier to try and move forward. And I remember it so clearly, I was um, in a meeting once and I was you know, doing the ecology stuff, it was normal projects and I was on the risk register, which mm. is never good. And we were doing all these little things, finished the meeting and the guy said, right, we're now going to swap to the opportunity and literally shuffling me out the room yeah. uh, because I'd done my bit. Oh. And I was turning around mm. and the, the vibe in the room was so different. It was really positive. It was really engaging. And all these sustainability people kind of were wandering in with their carbon calculators and their metrics and their... I was like, hang on, I want to be there. You know, I, I how do I get nature to be an opportunity? How do I convert what is seen as a risk, move it out the way so we can build the road? How do I get on that table, on that agenda? So I spent time with, again, with people incredibly generous and, and lovely with their time learning about the sustainability world. And they had two things. Mm. They had a vision and they had a vision that was just within reach. So when, you know, when, when you, it, it's, it's like, okay, what, you know, what is, what is the ultimate dream? But if you make it too impossible, if yeah. you make it too much, you're going to disconnect people. Mm -hmm. You have to make it challenging and ambitious and worth the hard work, but you have to have that tinge of this is possible if we really try, if we really work together. 
so that was the first thing and the second thing is they had a metric they all it was like yeah. oh damn you, <laughs> you know, yeah. they just had these amazing graphs and dashboards and i was like i'm impressed you know so that's where my love of graphs came along and then then i was kind of getting into that world when defra launched their pilot on offsetting mm-hmm. and i remember picking up uh, sort of downloading the document and reading it and pre- and and turning the page it's like, there's a metric you know, I thought this should, you know, obviously there's offsetting and it's like, yes, of course, offsetting is a measurable outcome. But we had, we had our first government issued metric. Yeah. So it's like, oh, great. Okay. So I, I spent a lot of time with the sustainability professionals and getting advice and help. Thinking, well, how does this work for biodiversity? How can I do what you do, but in a biodiversity world? Um, and working a lot of time with carbon experts who said, look, offsetting is a way to get to where you want to go, but you have to articulate that endpoint. You know, what is it that you want? What is your goal? And then you use a metric, but carefully. Um, and then I was really lucky to be introduced to um, Amelia Woodley on the Thameslink program, who is, is just incredible. And she's been my inspiration for a long, long time with her work. And I, we're kind of chatting away. We, we met in this um, really, really damp and um, very small railway depot. And we're, we're chatting away about this stuff. And she said, let's do it. You know, she was just one of those person who just said, okay, well, I've done carbon, I've done waste. There's this thing on my sustainability agenda that I'm not quite sure what to do with. You're coming along with an idea, let's just do it. And so we went from there and we started piloting this work at the same time that you know it was really taking off and there were a lot of discussions with this so what timeline is this when, when, what, what year are we talking about now with the defametric well yeah the first metric coming out um gosh i might get the timelines wrong actually um i want to say about 2000 was it 2012 no was it no it was about no Gosh, you know what? I'm going to Google right. and I'll email you afterwards. Yeah, well, I, I, so I, I, anything yeah. before COVID is a yeah. blur, yeah, quite yeah. frankly. So <laughs> I, <know what> you <laughs> I just mean. don't don't that's, ask me about times. Um, Pre-COVID or after COVID, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, it's around about 2012 then. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think so. Gosh, no. Um, but but the thing is, there was suddenly this you know this this really interesting movement this really interesting discussion happening within industry mm-hmm. you know the 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 offset pilot was really controversial um and, you know it's always really easy to look back at that but industry was like hang on we can set targets um and then i thought okay whoa 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 this is great and it's industry and this is exactly what we should be doing we should be the ones driving this forward but then the the onus is on us. Yeah. The burden is on us to get this right. Mm-hmm. And we have to have what does good look like? And um, I, well, myself and Amelia and a couple of others then started to have that conversation. What what do we do? What does good look like? And then that led to conversations with Sally Haynes at the Charles Institute of Environment and Ecology. And she was amazingly supportive. Yeah. And and then we spoke to uh, Nick Blythe at IEMA and also Owen at Syria as well, Owen Jenkins. And it was like, okay, let's form what then became the good practice principles. Okay, so this, you know, as you're saying, you're, you're taking other disciplines who had a vision and you're creating a vision for uh, biodiversity net gain at this point then. Really, so there were so many people working in this space yeah. you know there, there were a lot of us um you know rachel hoskins the um the amazing um tom butterworth yeah. you know like all um uh, uh, amazing sustainability managers working with the housing industry so many industry folk mm. um you know all working together at this point and it was just that recognition though is okay this is you know this is something something's happening change is happening and it's good we're going all sorts of directions you know it's like this relay race where everyone's just going crazy let's come back in let's form our lanes yeah. and let's think what does good look like um so yes then it was the 
the best people to write that are our industry professional institutes um, and brilliantly they, they said yes so who did you take it to then? So who 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 would you say who did need convincing the most? Shall we say in in this? Sort of oh gosh, no no one needed convincing, no one needed at, convincing all. at all. No, yeah, no. no, I mean everyone was just. I think I think there was this 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 thing that we're we're finally getting biodiversity onto the right page. You know, after years of of wrongly just being in that little corner yeah. um, in industry and finally coming to a place where we do need to ke- tread really really carefully. So th- yeah, that's when it was. Um, Charter Institute of Ecology and Environmental Management, IEMA, and uh, Siri as well. And those three giants, you know, they are mm-hmm. the, the cornerstones of our industry. They're the people that we work, yeah, you know, they're the institutes basically that we work from. Um, and that was that was such a milestone moment. It, it really was because it kind of brought all of these brilliant but quite disparate efforts into that consolidated piece. Yeah. And and that was 2016. I do remember that, that one. Yes, yeah. So that's the, so you're the leading author then of um, this piece. Then um, obviously, you, know, you mentioned you know a lot of people behind you. No, no, <laughs> yeah, well, with me. My gosh, no, yes, no, no. Absolutely, yes, it was yes. there. There was so many people, and you know, there were NGOs. It was government. Um, you know, uh, yeah. It, it it was a real team effort. So how did it feel? I mean, to get it actually out there into the public domain, shall we say? You know, where you know, so in the hands of people like myself as a, as a practicing ecologist. Gosh, I mean, just yeah, I mean, just extraordinary. And I think it's the the coming back to the power of when people truly come together. Yeah. And you know what change can do and what change can look like. And you know, there's moments when. Uh, you know, I've I've had such a backlog of no's. You know, I'll I'll have so many conversations about biodiversity, and even God, you know, even even today about biodiversity net gain. Mm. But for every, you know, I don't know, fifty, a hundred no's, there'll be one or two yeses, and those are the ones that really count. So to reach that stage, but but to really value the fact that this was so, it was such a collaborative piece and it was industry and NGOs and local government and national government coming together to, to really say, okay, this is something here, this is what good looks like, but really valuing that, that you know, that, that kind of belief that there's something here across the board, really, across kind of cross-sector industry. Okay, great. And, and, and um, if, you, if you don't mind, if, if we have a look at some of these principles of uh, biodiversity net gain then. So um, um, I'm not going to ask you to, I'm honest, you do know, reel them all off, but um, which ones are, are the most important? I know they're all probably important, but um, in terms of getting started, in terms of um, identifying, well, well, first of all, you know that the language needs to change. I'm sure you know you you mentioned about you know we 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 perceive things as risks and constraints. So, do you think actually the language needs to change first? I th- I think there's yeah. I mean, language is just it's what we have. You know the the communication language as as ecologists it's 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 so much what we do and what we have because i work with such great ecological consultants and they can do a really good survey and they make recommendations for those recommendations to land they have to have the right language they have to have the right you know even the the, the way is it in the front of the port is it in the back you know can people translate it all those kind of things um language is is everything absolutely Mm. Mm. um but i I guess coming back to your question about where do we start with the principles and they are obviously all 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 important so this is just my personal take Um, i think the mitigation hierarchy is actually really undervalued in terms of how it can lead to a process of change and i've noticed this really um really recently actually on on one of the projects i'm working on at the moment because the first step of the mitigation hierarchy is well the first two steps are avoid and reduce you know so they're like the prevention bit avoid your impacts where possible and and reduce them and i always work with a very very tight working footprint you know it's like that that particular road project or that site allocation whatever that might be so it's always pretty limited but i i can't physically do that bit because that's the engineering job so i can't you know that is literally or the architect's job so to get those first steps the mitigation hierarchy it's well how can i communicate that how can i collaborate how can i influence you know exert control and i what i love about that bit is that then it brings biodiversity net gain 
to the actual project team. And I, I don't think that there are projects and the, the one I'm thinking at the moment, the team did such a brilliant job, you know, to really work with the engineers. And, and it was then the engineers leading the meeting, you know, when we were talking about avoiding impacts and things like that, you know, which is, is, is extraordinary, but also great. Mm. And I think it's, mm. it's recognizing that, hang on, this is a, this is a team game here. It's not the job of the ecologist. Uh, you know, we really need everyone on board with this. Great. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I can, I can certainly understand that, um, it's highly frustrating when you are brought in for part of a project you know and it's usually not right not the start you know you you're there to as you say solve an issue and forget about everything else you know your your input doesn't really matter at this point you know we just want you to solve the ecological issue move on and let us carry on you know building our road building our you know the building itself uh not given much thought so it's it's uh, you know i suppose you're an advocate of actually getting in right at the start earliest as earliest possible yeah and i mean i i i have projects that are right across the spectrum you know i think where we are now is in in a really exciting place but also really frustrating because you have projects you do bring people in right from the start and you are really interested you know there's companies doing fantastic work about biodiversity net gain and then then you have projects you know just focused on their planning consent pretty much build it designed it uh, sorry pretty much designed it before the ecologist is brought in and you know i have those projects and they're like well julia can you just whiz up the numbers like no no not really it doesn't really work like that um and Yes, it's it's that transition process, I think. And I think for me, it's it's OK, you know, let, let's bed in. Let, let's really work through this. I might not win that particular project, but I'll what can I do to have that conversation? So hopefully next time around that that team is in a slightly different place or a slightly better place or they're thinking about this more in a way, you know, and it's really recognizing the win might not be on the ground, but the win might be a conversation that you have that then leads to something else down the line. Okay. Okay. So, so if we if we take that then in terms of, I, I suppose we should really define biodiversity net gain. What good looks like uh, in terms of. Uh, uh, yes. Yes. Yeah, so, yes. So, so let's go right yeah. back to the roots there. So, so could you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Describe to us what biodiversity net gain is and does. Well, the the. The, word, the wording in the good practice principles is leaving a development that leaves the natural environment in a better state than before. And, you know, we run training courses and um, I always say on those training courses, what that ultimately means is because that development has happened and that development might be a road or a railway project or a housing project or a power project, because it's happened, nature's better off. Mm -hmm. And that's fundamentally a different way of thinking planning, budgeting, designing, building and maintaining development. And it's fundamentally about development that underpins a thriving natural environment. So we're really truly getting away from that development versus nature scenario to really thinking about the outcome of that development as being, um, you know, a, a great place for the environment as well as what that housing project might be. And what I love about that definition, I think, mm. I think it's that it's that thing. I think it's that thing where it's just within touching reach. It's really hard and it's really challenging, but it comes back to that aspiration, that vision that isn't, you know, we can do that. We really can do that. It's going to be hard work. It's going to take time, but it is just, just possible. Okay. So that, yeah, that big, hairy, audacious goal, as some people say, isn't it? You know, but, uh, so in terms of um, getting there then, so what tools do we have at our disposal uh, now and maybe as know casting um, you know a few years into the future as well what what tools are being brought on board as well well so in England um, uh, there is obviously um, a huge fan of numbers now um, there is the natural England metric um, and so this is the, the biodiversity good name um, biodiversity good practice principles are UK wide, mm -hmm. um, but the UK is at different levels of degree of its thinking and it, and it's you know it's practiced with this aspect. And I think it's really interesting and exciting to see what is going to happen abroad. So this is just for England. Um, I do work with the Natural England metric, and it is habitat based, and I I just love it. You know I love the fact that we are truly coming back to thinking and being really creative and inventive about the habitats that we create you know and i think for so long we've been kind of blinkered with 
you know, bats and great crested newts and dormice and licensing and things like that. Whereas when you're thinking about the habitats on a project, you're truly, I think, Mm. truly thinking on a much more of a kind of an ecosystem type approach, you know, um, which is which is much, much better. So we are just about to get version three, hopefully coming out this summer. Um, And that will be the version um, supposedly that obviously will be mandated under the environment bill. But the one thing that I would say, and much as I, I, I love the way that, you know, we can get measurable outcomes now, um, the emphasis again sort of comes back on us as, as biodiversity ecology professionals because we have to navigate not being dictated by numbers, not being a number driven solely based on numbers you know we constantly have to remind ourselves we cannot put a single number on nature so it's a way of getting to that place when we've got a measurable outcome getting to that uplift in net gain but basing that on really really good ecological thinking and ecological principles okay so it's yes it's it's a a way in to communicate with other professionals as well then you know they, they, they've got their metric you know they, they understand data we need to have data to say that um, what we're proposing will actually work and help restore halt biodiversity loss restore restore certain habitats as well so it's having those conversations is it sorry putting words in yeah, there, it, absolutely no I, th- I, th- I think it I think it's I think it's two things I think um it re- the metric really helps me you know to to um in, in my work, it gives it a very, very structured approach, the way the metric works. Net gain is very structured, you know, like for like or better. Um, and the way the metric plays plays that out as well. So it's, you know, you can follow, the we, in the training, we talk about following the story of your different habitat types. So what are your woodland losses and gains? What are your grassland losses and gains? Really thinking about that level um, versus, so it, it helps me with the net gain design, absolutely, you know, and then implementing it through through construction um but absolutely it's 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 a community it's been an absolute um such a change in the way that i could communicate and what i was trying to do with with biodiversity you know having that number but again using it very very carefully mm. but when you are in that boardroom or when you're trying to get the attention of you know senior business people and you do have that five minute slot in a very very busy meeting you know being able to communicate something really succinctly um just helps okay okay great yeah and in terms i mean in terms of what inputs we need then for this for the calculation the biodiversity metric itself so we're looking at um you know these are the the baseline surveys you know the ecological you know are we i mean i imagine we're going to be moving away from phase one habitat surveys to the uk habitat classification system is it is that is that um you know is that something that we we should be moving towards now oh you know i I, th- I think it's it's a really interesting time so um for ecologists one of the big dilemmas actually um so we speak to a lot of ecologists and we always ask the question so are you still using phase one or have you moved to uk hab because the metric is like that as well uh, some have just done it you know some are just done the uk hab they're using it that's great some kind of in between and and they're starting to adopt uk hab some are still rigidly thinking you know sticking to phase one um, but then they've got to do this really awkward clunky translation because the metric is based on on uk habs yeah. so i th- i think it's you know it's very much an individual thing um for me uh that it's all about trust in the data you know, can we have confidence that your metric is truly saying a net gain? And that's based on the level of quality of your field survey data. But also that translation piece is absolutely key. Right. It's it, it really affects the metric. So if you start off with something that you're not going to have to get, you know, it's the classic lost in translation, something that just fits into the metric. The metric's only ever going to be as good as the data that goes into it. And your net gain design will only ever be as good as the direction that you're picking up from your metric. Okay, so this very really taps into the fact that we need good ecologists undertaking this work to get that baseline information in order to, to put the right calculation, what well, right figures in, shall we say, right measurements into this calculation to get good out at the end. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. But what I really love about this, actually, is I think because um, you need good ecologists who are like crackingly good at their habitats, yeah. like really, yeah. really good. And I think those ecologists have just been so overshadowed by so long because the bats and the great crested newts, you know, and I'm kind of guilty of that. And the dormice experts have taken the limelight because yeah. that was the policy and everything. But now, like, it's their, it's their time to shine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was speaking to um, uh, a colleague. Well, she's a friend now as well the other day. Um, and she was saying, oh, Julia, you know, on your Balfour projects, we used to just get the graduates out there to do a basic phase one. But don't worry, we have our, our senior leads now for mm-hmm. NetGay. And I was like, I didn't realise that you had your graduates <laughs> on our project before. I'm kind of delighted mm-hmm. now to know that you got your senior colleges doing, doing obviously, a habitat survey. So thanks for that. But I think it's, um, you know, it's, it also comes back to being proportionate, you know, for those you know, the shed conversion, the barn conversion versus the big projects as well. So we, we've got to have the right skills, but it's the right skills to match the right project and the right habitats. Okay, so and you, you mentioned that obviously this metric is for England at all. Is there any updates in terms of any other sort of the devolved countries, you know, you know, obviously, you know, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland? Um, well, I've seen the, uh, so it's the draft planning framework for in Scotland that's talked about net positive effects for biodiversity and um, I think it'd be really interesting to look at how they approach that and how that comes out about that I haven't seen anything um, recently actually but when that came out I thought great you know that's quite an interesting direction and you know at the end of the day um, the more ideas that we can have on the table is is great yeah. because it's all heading in the right direction. And I think there absolutely should be what's right for that particular country. You know, what, so long as we're we're heading away from this old world of development, given consent with biodiversity loss, and we're truly heading on that path where development is the thing that gets us a, a healthy environment. And whatever works for Scotland, so long as that's true, and it generally works best in scotland or wales or, or you know northern ireland then that's great great okay yeah yeah absolutely i think the, the, the as you say the more ideas on the table you know give you a lead us to that better um result at the end yeah yeah so in terms of um the uh obviously you do a lot of training on body metrics as you say you know your professional training courses um so you, you've run those for saim aima different practices as well um, I, I noticed you've, you've also delivered them in Sweden. Is, is that right? Did he- oh, yeah. No, they, they were they were really super lovely, actually. Um, yes. And I am. Um, oh, gosh, I, 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 I did try to say something in Sweden, but yeah. um, it didn't go down too well. No. <laughs> um, just because I love those, you know, the, the Channel 4, uh, you get all the, the Swedish cop dramas, which are brilliant. Yeah. Um, and I thought I could pick up something there, but no, that wasn't great. No, so, so Sweden's a really interesting place, again, about trying to think about where do they go with this and the big question is we need a metric mm-hmm. what does that look like you know and it, and it's such an interesting question to and to be at that stage when they're really thinking well how does this work is it species is it habitats and just being part of that discussion and sharing experiences it's again the, the just the power of people coming together and talking about it and knowing we don't know the answers but we're going to try something you know and and to really witness that in in sweden was amazing um, but yeah, no, the, the training here, it was actually quite interesting under, before COVID, um, I was kind of thinking about, well, maybe there's a place to do something online just because, um, you know, wanting to reach so many different places in the UK, but, but, you know, having to balance this with the day job and we're getting a lot more trainers on board, but then thinking, well, that will never work something online, you know, that will literally never work. And then, then COVID hit and the Chartered Institute was so lovely and supportive. We're like, can we, do you think we can run this online? They were like, yes, you know, and they, they trained us up on Zoom and were incredibly patient as we were kind of, um, you know, trying to get this training course running. So I'm incredibly grateful for them to just letting us, you know, do that and, and have that outreach. God, yeah, so you know, I've, I've I've seen one of your webinars. Yeah, so uh, they're 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 fantastic. So uh, you know, I learned I've learned a lot, and there's a lot to learn still, uh, uh, particularly for me. Um, so it's so yeah. So in terms of what's next then for both yourself and for Balfour BT, um, it's I mean more of these biodiversity metric training sessions. Is that is that right? So I. Well, what's next for me? What's next mm. for Balfour BT? Um, 
I think I think so. Yeah, I, I I think it's 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 such a moment of change anyway. You know that we're going through massive policy change. Um, the the course of the green recovery, um, but also looking at you know when you work for and I love I genuinely love working in construction and working for a contractor. You know you actually get to to physically direct and do things on on site and to work for a company who um, really you know enable those kind of ideas in a in a very very supportive way. So I think it's really taking that then to say, well, as a contractor, how can we contribute to that and, you know, work with clients of major projects? I work right across the board, you know, from a roundabout upgrade, but also for the major projects where you do have resources and you, and you can hit those challenging targets. I think now is the time when we've really got to get some hard data some hard evidence under our belt and to talk about it mm. there's still an awful lot of learning with net gain when it comes in and there's still a lot of uncertainty and what i find is you know i work with engineers or project managers or directors it's not like they don't like net gain they don't like risk and they don't like uncertainty so for yeah. us to be able to be the ones you know working on these projects and then with our obviously you know with the clients with the project team um, really talk about what went okay, what we could have done better to help move forward in in a way. So I think now is the time we, we've got the nuts and bolts of net gain. We've got the good practice principles. You know, we've got a couple of years under our belt. We've got the metric. We've got the version three coming now. You know, kind of enough. Um, let's really start to do this in a very consolidated way, but in a way that captures the learning um, to, to help move move things forward. Because I think. You know, there'll there'll be as, as much as I, I'm excited about the future. I'm kind of worried that we'll just miss the mark. You know, there, there's a way that net gain can become just about numbers or yeah. not. You know, it doesn't. What you write on paper doesn't make sense on the ground. So we constantly have to come back and think. Well, are is this okay? Is this okay? What are we doing? Can we do it better? And I think that over the next couple of years is going to be absolutely key. Okay, so I, I think that is also going to be linked to yeah the 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 forthcoming environmental bill then. So in terms of um, getting a, that additional sort of um, legally binding targets then within within that um, within the new act that will come in. Yeah, I, th- I it's definitely time. I, th- I think you know while it's been exciting in industry and it's kind of been this grassroots approach. You know, so many different people working and you know like the water sector is doing amazing stuff. We've got housing, um, you know, the power sector. The, the environment bill does bring in that level playing field. You know, it's it set the benchmark of, of a minimum 10%. Mm. You know, it's that 30 years um, and hopefully we'll get a lot more policy guidance about the really tricky bits like, you know, what is additionality? How does, you know, how does that work? And things that we still have a lot of questions on. So we're, we're like this kind of moving parts type thing. And, and a big piece of that is the environment bill and the policy guidance help. And again, it, it, England focus, but to help bring yeah. those questions. And that's another kind of nut and bolt to, to, to the machine going forward. But it, it's, it's still about, um, you know, we've got to keep the conversation going, we've got to keep it live. And we've got to keep talking about what's working, what's not working, and how do we improve? And how do we do that? Is you know, is it, is it through having um, the body of you know, Saim and Aima there to actually raise our voices to at a higher level, um, as well as communicating and disseminating that information out to practicing ecologists um, within our industry? Yes, absolutely. I mean, they they already do such a brilliant job, you know, through the conferences, through webinars and things like that. Um, and I think that engagement piece, absolutely. Mm. But even just, you know, people just posting stuff on LinkedIn and, um, you know, and being able to to talk about this stuff. And it is really, really tricky when, um, you know, obviously you've got to get client permission and, and all that kind of stuff. Believe me, I've, I've, mm. I've been there and am there at the moment. But there are certainly ways that you can talk about projects and you can share you know even if it's just your personal experience you might not have to name it or you know you might be able to get the client on board so i i think given you know the massive rise of social media the massive digital world that we're living in i just think you know now is the easiest time in the world to have a conversation and to reach so many different people i think there's um there's certainly a a new air isn't there about uh you know obviously there's a focus now of 
you know, climate change, but also biodiversity loss. Where I'm being, I mean, I listened to George use this as a, a speech um, in was it Delamere Forest the other day. Um, so, but uh, yeah, mentioning about you know a bit more op- opti- uh, optimism within restoring, and that's that. Well, you know, we can talk about the wording particularly about you know restoring or halting the decline of nature. But I suppose halting is not all. It's not the end result, is it? I think it's halting is one part of it. Restoring, building, building back better. If, if I may coin a oh, phrase God. there. <laughs> don't don't, don't <laughs> steal those words from someone. But the, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, don't tell me. You'll be guided mm. by the science yeah. in yeah in un- unprecedented times and all that joy. No, I, th- I think, um, I mean, what, so that there, there's one thing actually I really love about net gain. So one, one of the things when I was working in nature conservation is the restoration principle, you know, is just great. What you want is to find the stuff that's really down and out, the things that are uh, kind of degraded and really not doing too well. And in a normal EIA, they might not get the recognition they need because the EIA tends to focus on, you know, the really big stuff, the really significant stuff. Whereas conservation, the restoration principle is is key. You know, you want to find what is inherently, um, you know, something really interesting and important for nature and then restore it back to its former former glory. And what I love about net gain is that that just works so well mm. under net gain. You know, that the way that the Natural England metric works, it, you can, um, you know, it runs the... Run, you can generate units quite nicely through restoration and it's just a fundamental part of of nature conservation so there are so many times when it's like yes this is really coming together now you know this is we've, we've just got to consolidate this grab that good stuff talk about it and then hopefully we'll, we'll build on that okay so yeah carry on the conversation and uh, yeah build upon so in terms of i mean uh, um, i mean you'd be very generous with your time they're absolutely very generous and i just want to start to wrap a th- uh, things up uh, now if i may so i mean people that listen to this podcast as well are people entering a career shall we say uh, in terms of ecology and i'm, I'm sure you'll be an advocate for e- going not just an ecological consultants but ecological contractors too so what pieces of a career advice would you give either yourself looking back or to a new new ecologists coming forward through as an maybe like an undergraduate yes no i am definitely going to sell working for a contractor i had no idea <laughs> that you know my job it, well um, my job did, didn't particularly exist when i was at university but i had no idea that you could do this stuff working for a contractor and it's the best ever you know it really really is and i've really found my home here working for a contractor because you are the ones directing you know, making it really happen on site. And I mean, most of our projects are joint ventures anyway, or design and build. So I, I do get to pester our lovely design teams. Um, so early, early careers, be, I would I would say be, be really open. You know, there's so much talk in terms of, well, ecologist, you'll be a consultant, but just be open to, to those other career paths in terms of working for a contractor that you might not have thought about. Um, and as, as hard as it, may sound because it's it's you know it is that kind of you know you've obviously got to get a really good cv that there's nuts and bolts of of getting job applications and things like that as well um but it's just so impressive when i talk to a young graduate who's incredibly passionate and who's just got that thirst for learning and that joy in in you know the the work that they do and you when you know and find what you're passionate about and what you're driven by and truly understanding, you know, your motivation and your place, you just got to keep going, you know, and you might hit a brick wall. I certainly thought I'd hit many brick walls in my career. But looking back, I was like, hey, that actually led me to where I am now. So that was mm. that was OK. Mm. Um, and I think just being open and just reaching out, having those conversations. Um, but but, you know, now is the time where you've got social media, you've got LinkedIn. Um, and so do contact us. Now, I've, I've been so impressed by graduates or, or you know, people who just come out of university. You've just said, oh, can I have a conversation? I'm interested in jobs. Can I find out a bit more than you? I'm like, oh, my God, I've never done that. I was yeah. far too scared. Um, so reach out, you know, have a conversation um, and and just see where it goes. But also now is the time, you know, there's some really interesting recruitment work going on by um, by contractors and by consultants as well. Um to you know to to really make the most of of the opportunities that we have today great thank you julia so um in terms of i mean you mentioned linkedin there so is that the best place to connect with you then uh, i imagine is it is linkedin through linkedin 
Um, I, th I think it's interesting. So the, the people that I know still in research, I think they mainly use Twitter, but industry, I, I think, is, is pretty much LinkedIn. Um, I, yeah, I don't know why. But for me, yes, if, if it's industry stuff, um, a LinkedIn is, is where I go to and where I find most of my updates as well. Um, but I, yeah, there, there's the academic following that I do and the people that I know who working in this space will tend to post stuff on twitter but particularly for i think if it's you know people just starting out in their early careers um yeah get a get a linkedin profile um and then just reach out and contact us great great thank you julia so thank you for joining me on the ecology academy podcast it's been great talking with you and i wish you the greatest success stay curious i'm helping I'm, that's the word of today stay curious and i wish you all the best with uh, both what you do personally and with balfour bt Oh, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you very much for, for having me on today. If you enjoy our show and want to help, then please click on the subscribe button and rate us on your favourite podcast player. As that's how you can inspire ecologists in the making, help retain great talent and provide insights of our industry to a much wider audience of why ecology really does matter. Thank you. And remember, learning is a lifelong endeavour. So stay curious, be adventurous and build bridges for others to cross.